Hello and welcome to Ben's Multi-Story Podcast. If you've ever wondered on your Facebook feed or your Twitter feed who makes all those videos, the little short ones from football teams or from companies, well, I sat down with two of the guys that do make them. They work for a production company, but they are kind of filmmakers in their own right. I love these guys. Very chatty, uh, really nice chaps. Um, I hope you enjoy it and I hope to see them in the big screen soon. I'm here with Scott. Hello, everybody. Nice to meet you. And Andrew. Hiya. And you guys make stories for a living. Yeah, in a sense. Um, but yeah, it's, it's storytelling in a visual format, I suppose. So but it's storytelling for other people, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. It's um, most of our jobs. I mean, in, in, in an ideal world, we'd be working on creative projects where from the outset it would be to come up with, you find a brief, whether it be a music video, whether it be a commercial, whether it be... I mean, any form of media, and then we'd try to. I mean, me and Andy are really story driven, so everything we try to do, we try to make it a story. So, we're obviously, we love films, we've always wanted to do a film, uh, to make films, and we try to approach that in every way we can. Although, sometimes in our industry, that can also be the wrong approach for certain briefs, which we've had to tone down on as well. Because a lot of people want visual. I mean, in a visual format, such as, as film and moving image you can create stories visually. And a lot of the time we're very storyline driven, which is great for what we like, but sometimes that's not the best way to approach it. So you mean like in a narrative sense? Yeah, exactly. Creating images within the the frame as opposed to doing the whole explaining. Yeah, so like, because we we think about it from like a sort of Tarantino or um, a Fincher point of view where there's a beginning, the middle and end and there's a character that has a problem and they overcome it and bloody, bloody, blah. But if you go into the especially in social media and, and a lot of the sort of cool kid um, videos that get made these days, a music video can often be told in a story from purely visual. So lighting, costume, the emotion on someone's face. And a lot of the time in that scenario, the the viewer won't, a lot of viewers wouldn't have a clue what's going on, yet the director will always have a meaning behind. So you're talking about the language of film now, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. But in more of the, in the digital age as well, I see it as, because more and more, of these projects are like I said there could be a guy in a room with a red and blue lighting on his face and that's meant to explain his mental state which is obviously telling the story but what I'm saying to you is that we approach it slightly differently where we always have well especially that we're trying to move in the past we've been story beginning middle and end with a twist or so on and so forth and sometimes that's not the best way to approach it so we've been trying to tone back and come from more the so okay so, so at the moment you, you guys are a production company or part of a production company. Yeah. Um, do you consider yourself filmmakers? Uh, I, I always do because whatever, whatever I write, whatever story I write, when they say write about what you know, the thing I know most about is film. So that inspires most of my ideas. So I, I look at it from that point of view. But like Scott said, the outcome though really depends on how you tell that story. If you're trying to sell a product, then you can't really be as, I don't know, maybe as surreal as you could be with, you know, a narrative short story or just just a film for the sake of it. You have to sell a product. You've got to tell that story in a way that's universally understood sort of quickly and relatably to, to everyone. Do you see what I mean? Whereas if you just want to write and direct a short film, you've got more scope to just sort of put something out there. People can interpret it however they want. Obviously, you've got to then have certain themes and certain formulas to make it a story that people are aware of. But then when it comes to commercial storytelling like say like you know the, the John Lewis Christmas adverts they're always there to pull at them hard strings that are guaranteed to work there's always that specific formula to work to whereas like the short film we've just made 
we talk about what, right what you know it's about this weird local character which because we're from Skem a small little town and that's just you know the north is just synonymous with these local weirdos so you get this local weirdo who's got these bad teeth like typical Jeremy Kyle sort of guy but he's got these aspirations of wanting to be this big famous disco dancer but he thinks he's being held back by his own appearance which is something that me and him always talk about you know we come from this little small town we always felt we were held back because of where we came from and our roots and stuff and you always have these big aspirations so to us it was like people could really relate to this character but we just we told it in quite a I don't know how would you say yeah in a, in a weird way because yeah. because I, I personally I love um, weird weird characters and I like you are a weird character yeah exactly <laughs> that, no that's one of the things on my humour I've got humour that a lot of people wouldn't like and I I uh, even dark films I, I, I really like dark films mm. um, so everything that we ch- I mean most of my favourite films have some big act of violence so there's mm. this really sort of dark moment in it and that's what mm. I'm sort of inspired by so just just take it back because this is interesting uh, as a not as a just an aside I, I was something on the radio recently and they were interviewing some people from Scam mm. from Scalmsdale um, which I believe is what channel was that this is Radio 5 or something they were doing mm. like a thing about people felt they were being held back because of their accent mm. yeah yeah it's true and, though and it's... she was saying this woman was saying well because we're from Scam and you have to say we're from Scam because they obviously got a broad Scouse accent and there's a history behind that, isn't it? But just, the just, thing yeah, is, yeah. those stories. But we get we get we get subject to that by scousers because we're not actually scousers. We're plastic scousers, so we don't really fit in anywhere. If you go if you go one side of the M58, everyone in Wigan hates us. If you go to the other side of M58, or even all our parents are there, they hate us as well. And there's so. that rumor that in the 70s, some weird scientist built this underground uh, machine which puts up this emitting sort of sound, which makes people from Skem not be you know, <laughs> as ambitious as they could because this sound affects your brain state, which is just insane. But so, going, maybe back to, going back to saying what you write, what you know, the framework, yeah. and this is something that uh, keeps popping up for me, mm. is when you tell a story, mm-hmm. you've got that framework of your own life yeah. to reference. Mm-hmm. And that's how a lot of people do tell stories. Mm-hmm. So, in your eyes, because you grew up in this, want a better word, weird place, because yeah. it is a weird place, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, it's a Lancashire town, which was very, it's in the heart of Lancashire, but all mm. of a sudden, in the was it sixties I guess it's a baby boom yeah, I think 60s, it was late well yeah an overspill from Liverpool yeah, they, they moved everyone out from Liverpool didn't they yeah, a lot the, of the dreams so and the got... hopes of, of a better life but basically it was just a little corner where they built like favela style council estates and threw, mm. threw us all in the middle of which it. they never finished no no train yeah. station there and are out there's one yeah yeah there's no train station there's one right you either lost there or you, or you yeah you're seriously lost there or you've just come to visit someone so you, do you think that upbringing in this place which is kind of is full of that kind of conflict Mm. between the old scam new scam yeah, yeah. and that and also you've got the history there that you're identified everywhere else as a scouser yeah but people from Liverpool yeah exactly like, if yeah, I, like, like we live in London now and if someone says to me in a pub on a Friday night or something oh where, where are you from I'll say I'm, I'll say I'm from Liverpool but then if there was a scouser in the room I would, I'd say I'm from just seriously out. anyone say to you where are you from and not tell mate but honestly that's that is that's what I'm trying to say though if a scouser was here now I would not want to say I'm a scouser, I'd say. Because what you don't realise, Ben, is that I grew up, uh, we grew up playing football on Stanley Park, getting kicked around by scousers, being called wolves, and and that was what we did with all that. So I hated scousers at that time. I'm proud of where I'm from, and I love Liverpool, I love the Beatles, my parents are from there, but I love the city, but there's a lot of people that, that take the mickey out of us and take the piss out of us, and, and that's what I try to not be associated with, so... Mm. But that's that. That made our our town. Like I don't think there's anywhere else in the like in this country because we're such a tight knit group of people. Like 
whether it's crime or whether it's being proud or whatever, there's a lot of things that go on there that I don't think goes on anywhere else. But I'm, I wouldn't change for the world, and I'm very proud of where I'm from. Even like the, like right opposite my house, like I live in like the newest part of Skem. Uh, the the Domies moved in. It were uh, yeah. like you know when like the Beatles went over to. Yeah, like Indian, Indian Maharishi one. Seen it. all the Mah- like they've got one opposite my house. Like for some yeah. reason they just put one in Skem. So there are all these like so, no, weird little it's, meditators. There's two, who- the two of them in the world or something. I heard it was probably a rumor, but there was mm. two exact points on the earth where it was and what happened to. Yeah, to yeah. But basically, there's just this little tiny culture, subculture in there, which is like the all these Maharishi and like really long heads, beards, sandals, and they close yeah, to the community yeah, which yeah. now we look like yeah so that's a big inspiration <laughs> but they, they got preyed on by the local town like you, you just have people from like Digmore and Tannos these, these rough areas going around there and just robbing every, robbing them but, but yeah. they live in a really but that's what I'm saying there's so many fi- I'd love anyone to just go and spend six months in Skem I know you probably ever wouldn't but that, if you did you'd realise like we. that's why we feel lucky that we've sort of well, that's why we feel like we've accomplished something being down here and mm. yeah but like like I'm getting back to the point we try to like when we write stories it's trying to be something embedded from mm. sort, of, sort of what we're about as, so as humans you've got this thing inside you obviously you've gravitated towards story telling mm. story making the whole video side of stuff and you've got and you've obviously always loved films both of you no Andrew more so than me I mean, there's not a film that he doesn't know it's, it's crazy like he's, his, his level of, of knowledge is I failed at a few things and that's why I've ended up in it but oh. yeah that's yeah. Yeah, but then mine was always influenced by film. So I thought, like, I used to graphic design, fine art, everything I've ever done, but draw and whatever. It was always inspired by like film culture. So I thought, well, rather than just being inspired by it, why don't I try and make my own? To me, like when a kid, I was a kid, that was never something you could ever do. Like, oh, be a filmmaker. I was like, I don't live in Hollywood, but you know, you, you have a go at writing. Some people like your ideas, and then fortunately, you get a little bit of break sometimes. Mm. So you're more literate. You've got that that language of film, mm-hmm. and so you bring that. You try and bring that. And like you're saying, obviously, there's a story, middle, and end to a lot of kind of linear storytelling mm-hmm. but a lot of um, filmmakers they try and break that mould don't they they try and do whether it's you know you've got that whole memento flashback thing yeah, going yeah. backwards yeah. or all these little things that try and disrupt it yeah so you would you would kind of how, how easy is, is that to introduce that kind of concept into what is essentially working for the man Mm. You know, you're doing shit that you've got to do. Yeah. How, no, how, 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 know, how far can you push it to what you frustra- want to do? Yeah, it frustrates us, though, in the same sense where we, I mean, we, we get caught up in the, in the sort of the commercial side of, of, of work, working for a production company down here, which is it's great because we're, we're sort of, we're, we're learning our trade, so on and so forth. But there's, I mean, we wish, I mean, we stay in the office sometimes till 10, well, most days till 10 o'clock at night working on stuff. And we wish we could do that on a, with our creative projects. But as soon as you go into that whole, that area of, of doing, of, of locally, of, of funding your own films, that's when you, that's when everything's taken away from you. So we're still learning the ropes and we're very confident. I'm, I'm really, mm. yeah, I'm, I think we'll do something great one day. It's yeah. just trying to find, at the moment we've, we've got security with a job and that we basically are incorporating film in, an, in in the medium that we like doing it in, but we're still not quite there in terms of exactly what we want to be doing. Yeah, I think you have yeah. to nail it, like you'll be saying as well about, say like Memento or like anything that's sort of like Pulp Fiction, you know, that messes with the format and like the linear narratives for that. I think you have to be able to do it well at first to be able to then break that, you know what I mean? I don't think you can just go straight in and like, yeah, like Memento, we have to do the following first. It's the Les Dawson, isn't it? It's all the, the you know, you've got to learn to play the piano properly before you can play it before, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 which I, which I, yeah, really believe in. But I think, I think as, as kids though, we used to always love them films where, oh, there's like a crazy twist in the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think more so now, mm. than like I think one of the best films we've seen all year was Good Time. Um, mm. So from some directors from, um, from New York and 
that basically is just it's a period of time. It's sold in real time. Yeah, like, it's like you're there in one night. In terms of story point of view, it's it's one of them far far fetched things where you still rob a bank in the modern day, but we I think we're both more into now them just a segment of time mm. and and because if you do so have you ever seen Victoria the film no, no I'm looking at you blankly what the, what, so it's a, it's a, it's a, 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 it's a German film it's a one it's one shot and I mean normally this is just so there's where, no cuts it's just yeah, one but really it's not, one yeah. shot yeah yeah, yeah, yeah no, not, no, not, really, not really like one. a bear not like man. a bear man, yeah, yeah. one of the best Oscar what, for faking it. it what's so amazing about that film is that it's literally I've been out and got fucked with my mates at four o'clock and it's sort of set in this like Berlin sort of dance, um, techno sort of urban lifestyle. But it's just, you, you completely forget about this one take thing in a minute because it's more like theatre then. It's like, hmm. you've got, it's just a period of time and, and just an hour and a half, two hours. And I think more the films we're into lately are taking that format where it's hmm. like, there's not any big passage of time. There's not a montage. I think it's not that's a twist. I think that's because like being like young, like aspiring filmmakers. That's what you relate to more. Now. Like since I've started actually making films, I watch films totally differently to how I used to. Now I'm looking about like, oh, how that was shot, or where that was shot, or when that was shot. You're thinking about all the elements that make it to see if you could do it yourself as well. And when you see a film like that or Good Time, yeah, it's just like, takes it all that's right. in one night. It's, it's a guy with a camera. You know what I mean? As soon as you see something like say like Birdman or something, you're looking for them like, where's that cut gone? Or, you know, this is obviously a 10 month production. Whereas if you look at something like that, obviously there's a lot of hairstyle in it, but to actually shoot it, it seems more to me like attainable to actually do it. Yeah, like, but like even the Oscars this year though, I think mm. uh, like our, our, one of our favorite um, actors, I can't even say his name, what's his John, yeah. John, what's his name? John Mc, Free Billboards guy. Oh, director? Yeah. Oh, uh, Martin McDonough. Yeah, uh, no, it's the John, isn't it? No. Well, anyway, well, yeah. but, but he done In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths, mm. two of our favorite films. and. We, you were disappointed by Free Bill Woods yeah, in a way yeah. that we bigged it up so much that yeah. it was going to be like the next best thing because he's our favourite director but our favourite mm. director mm. but he does that in that way where there's not there's not crazy GFX or anything like that there's mm. no com- no really complex storylines mm. and he just does it over a small uh, even in Bruges that's probably set in about four days time yeah. Seven Psychopaths is the same it's like a week long time but then if you talk about like storytelling in terms of like Seven Psychopaths that's why I loved it so much because that story that's something I've never seen before the film sort of writes itself as yeah. you're watching it even mm-hmm. the end credits stop and it comes back in and stuff like that. that that's why I love that so much and when I watched Three Billboards I was expecting him to break the tropes of sort of storytelling fair than that but he didn't he just thought a really good story it, it's funny you say that because in Bruges to me is quite a it's got its moments yeah like kind of but the, it's actually quite a traditional storytelling. Yeah, that's yeah, what, that's what yeah. I'm trying to Top say. thing, that's, isn't it? You know, yeah. it's, it's kind of that. It Not, really unfolds. You get a few flashbacks, obviously, when he, yeah, yeah, he yeah. shoots in the church or whatever. Yeah. But it unfolds quite gently. Yeah, 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 yeah. The whole Brendan Gleeson character is that kind of conduit. Yeah. It's really quite slow, the unravel. Yeah, yeah. And then it kind of builds to just kind of... Well, it's not even craziness. It's quite but, a slow no, pace. If you, yeah, break, yeah, yeah, break that film, if you break that film down, mate, there's like... 10 it, I mean, I'm sure there's more but it, it, in my head I can remember like 5 to 10 scenes key scenes mm. and they're either Colin Farrell's sitting around or mm. I'm not having this I'm going out and all that yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's just like that's that's what I that's what I love like another this is England That not that there's nothing ha- even happens in that film it's, it's not a story there mm. that, there's no con- there's no clear narrative well there is but it's just a collection of characters whose emotions and, and it's and it's driven by a young kid trying to find himself. So it's almost like the film is finding itself as he is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's he's exploring what this new world is to him as you are as well. Same Meadows is not like those new. The same Meadows yeah, films yeah. are like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. They, they're that kind of like you, you. You're discovering the story as the yeah. He presents you this gritty world, and you just yeah. You're there for the. Do you journey. think that's a? And I know he's he's Nottingham, so he's not quite yeah, north. Yeah. north. Yeah, yeah. But do you think that's a British thing? Mm. Or do you I don't think know because I think down down here you have obviously 
there's a it's just, just such a different not really many people on a global scale is really going to appreciate I, well I don't think we'd really get a lot of the places up north whereas I mean London's London you've, you've got the West End I mean there's so many more cultures that are down here so if you shot a film in London it could be James Bond which is then appearing on a global scale and it's very hard to take someone to a, like a community up north and do it in a way where someone like Shane Meadows has done it or I mean how many good films from Liverpool or Manchester have you what's ever come out of Liverpool or Manchester yeah. <laughs> but yeah no but like I love Snatch for instance Snatch is an amazing film and I think that was done in a way where it's obviously set in London but it's it's tapping into the working class areas of London and and that's why that film for me is so genius because he's just managed to just turn it into like a global hit that anyone can relate to but mm. it's really clever to do that well, compared like the way him and Shea Meadows do it differently like Guy Ritchie makes it that like it's still really crazy and violent but even like you know the soundtrack it, it's cool it's like it's meant to be like sexy in a really dark underground way It's it, I can see why it does really well in America I can't imagine many of Shea Meadows films doing as well because it doesn't offer that sort of but I think that there's, surely there's two different approaches there isn't it I think yeah, yeah. Guy Ritchie's obviously he wants that glitz and glamour yeah. I don't think I think if you offered Shea Meadows glitz and glamour he'd probably yeah, yeah exactly probably just spit yeah. at you headbutt you yeah yeah, yeah, yeah something yeah, like exactly, that yeah. but he, he I mean you'd it's like Guy Ritchie then goes on to do Sherlock Holmes and stuff like that whereas Shane mm. Meadows goes on to to just do more this is in but way darker yeah. and we're on, on primetime TV so yeah, yeah. yeah but I think I think that's the I don't know because that's where I'm sort of stuck I don't but know that's which where, like, but I, I think we would go more towards like the sort of Guy Ritchie like that film I've just been talking about then about the guy who's the like he's obsessed with 70s disco dancing and he's mm. this weird character but all the way through it that the soundtrack is like these sort of 70s beats he is trapped in that sort of so it's it's told in that sort of gritty this is very real this is England sort of way but always through this like tainted lens of you, you yeah. you're not sort of laughing at him but you um, can tell it's a bit it's, it's not meant to be you can tell he's the nutter guy. yeah exactly yeah, yeah. but I in think a that, fun way I think that's the way we like if we could it, it, it to be make it about what we know but then do mm. it in a way where it could be there's no there's no location you don't see somewhere and go oh that that was there yeah that's not oh there, there's a bridge that everyone has seen and there's we, and there's no dialogue in it at all either so it's maybe that's a, a way that might I don't know do well in other places but I, can't, I couldn't see it like you know doing well in Japan or something you know what I mean I don't think it's yeah. that accessible cause so it's does very, it have throwbacks to us is it silent because it's just silent no because we not, ori- not under music obviously but I'm talking about dialogue we, ori- that we originally did it for a music video and then like I was saying to you right at the beginning when we started talking that a lot of the time we try to write in a, a really narrative, like story-led way for something like a music video that didn't need that. So we real, we had a really great idea. Andy came up to it with it first and then we sort of developed it together. And we know it was a really good idea, but then it just got turned from that music video into more of a short film, a short silent film that is, yeah, yeah. the music is the background. Because he's a disco dancer, that's... And because we had, we had the character and we, we, we loved the character, we realised we didn't really need, we could tell about his life without really hear, needing to hear him speak. You know what I mean? It, it yeah. wasn't necessary, so to me, it was almost putting him would just be like shoehorning in dialogue because it's because you want it. Like we're 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 really eager to work with more dialogue, but so just did you the take the main part then? Did you? No, <laughs> yeah, no, probably, probably could have yeah. looked like it, but, yeah, yeah. but that's a piece from it there. Yeah, so that's that's the reveal at the end, basically. Yeah, so don't read it. Don't worry. Don't even mention what that is. <laughs> so you guys, obviously, you've got this 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 kind of one side of you, which is the passion, mm-hmm. which is that kind of the, the, your own stuff which references that but let's bring it back to kind of what you do at the day to day level okay so you kind of make you make short films for brands basically for brands yeah yeah, yeah. so I mean it's, it's weird because it can this is the way that I've, I've, well, I've been advertising for 
three or four years basically and it's just weird now because brands I think are taking risks on a level that they never were before like for instance you work for NHS I showed you I have done yeah sorry if that were, but you work for the NHS I'm, we, I've, I worked with you that's how I met you a lot of the time they would make videos that were clutching at the heartstrings of the nation and they put a subject in there which is really going to if someone watches it they're going to be really affected for it I showed you that video once about the Americans who did that similar thing like a, a blood donor charity yeah. and then they do that video the biggest arsehole in the world and that's how I think it's completely changing now like brands are just coming to like, it's, it's more of a statement about themselves mm. and they're I think if your competitors are breaking boundaries then you've got to do it as well so mm. so do you see like, adverts on TV or online on Facebook or whatever and use that as a reference point now as well to try and push I think one of the biggest things that we've realised in the last two years now is that without looking at things and taking inspiration from them you don't get ideas anymore mm. like honestly if we sit down and think of a concept for anything now I, I just see if you if you get a piece a brief on a piece of paper and you instantly go and start writing you're just you're neglecting inspiration to help it you need I, I feel like I'm taking little pieces from so many different things and mm. I'm putting them all together now which ultimately creates a completely different video but there will be elements of so many things I've seen mm. that so help. does that all is that all from a video point of view so are you referencing things that you've seen that are, that are moving image or is it a case of you heard a song you saw a, you know a, a CD cover or an album cover or whatever no, I think I, it's mainly the moving image yeah it, so, it, yeah it is though but I could be walking down the street and see a character on a bus and think oh, yeah, yeah. like yeah. yeah oh yeah I mean music's something that probably we should do more to be honest with you because mm. I think I mean one of the work that we're shooting something on Friday which is sort of a piece about joggers in London or bloody blah, blah but music's going to be the main element of that and the sounds that they make is going to create that video so mm. I mean, like, I take anything from anywhere. I could be on a tube and see an advertising board and see something that I think mm. that'll work. The amount of times I've sent Andy a picture and saying, oh, this is working this, or this is working that. And it could be something as simple as a picture on, on, on the yeah. wall. So, so how do you tally that with doing, like, the really boring shit? Because um, I know I've worked with you, and if I'm honest, the work, some of the work I've done with you isn't exactly going to push boundaries, and it's really kind of a, a technical, you're there to record yeah. something in the best way it can be recorded. Mm. I'll, I'll so you is that own. just like counting the cash or is that just frustrating no or? but I mean for the business it def- I mean me and Andrew set a business up today I mean I'd be I'd, I'd, the first thing I'd do is go and get them them contacts because essentially they're the ones who are paying you your wage but I think we're doing more less and less of that now like mm. I mean a lot of the videos we get now is even if it's a case study we'll make it like a docu style piece so it'll be yeah. sort of like and it's sort of like a way to like not like practice but you know what I mean? It's like it's it's like a homework, like keeping you up to date and refreshed. You know what I mean? So you're not just sitting here. Sometimes you're sitting here for days, just pitching work and not getting anywhere. So sometimes just getting them right. We're going to go and do this interview or something today. It's it's work for you. It, keep, it gets you out of the office and it yeah. gets you shooting. And it's also a bit like oh thank God, you know, it's just it's just a job we can do. We know we can do yeah, it well. it's because some of the jobs we do it is there's so many things that can go wrong. It's I mean I'm off sleepless nights because it's there's yeah. that much pressure. There's that much that can go wrong. So sometimes when you do get them, okay, we're going to do a talking head and some cutaway. So it's like oh thank God. But yeah, but that's like. A lot of them shoots, though, are, they're so depend. Like, we get help. Like, for instance, a lot of the stuff I did with you, like, you get a, sp- a specific time limit, one location. Yeah. You can't do. It's very hard to do anything else other than that. Yeah. Whereas if you say, "Let's film the interview that day," and then if you called me back and said, "Let's go and get some cutaways for the next few weeks after it," mm. that would have made that piece better. But it's in a commercial world, you, you're really tied down by mm. limits and of time and money, basically. I think a lot of people who definitely scroll through the videos on Facebook on Instagram and all this stuff and they see them 
and they're nice and glossy. They probably don't they underestimate how much effort goes into making it. Yeah, well, you see, you you notice when the shit basically. Yeah, you yeah. see a shit one, then that's when you notice. But a lot of people these days, because they've got iPhones and they can hit record yeah. and they put Instagram stories up, they go, oh, what? How much can that take? Yeah, yeah. yeah but that's but the, editing the, something. Yeah, but I just, just run through that because that can take. Yeah, no. So that, I mean, that's that, that's. I I mean, I could go and shoot some of the best. It's, it's every single time you get into an edit, it's 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 difficult because even if you're so even if you got a storyboard and you've got every shot to a T, mm. it's it's one of them moments where you get you get really excited that you you've got the shoot out of the way and you feel really sort of really energized after it, and then you get into you'll get into the edit and see all the footage and you'll just be like, fuck, man, this there's so many there's, you can make or break it in the edit but mm. I think that's like it, that's all down to your if you're doing sto- if you're doing storytelling and filmmaking like it's meant to be done then getting in it's always going to make your job easy for you getting into the edit if you know you've got 60 shots to get and you've got going to got 60 shots on that day then the edit really is it's you've, you've done it yourself in pre-production but in terms of the commercial world we were just talking about that doesn't really happen so often because a lot of the time you are having to shoot off the bat basically and, and trying to get things that were there on the day so then yeah you, but the edit, the edit's difficult though so what happens if you've got to edit somebody else's footage because what I'm okay mm. so back to the like, basics what do you consider yourselves as? Di- director well I, I, Andrew's definitely a writer director and I'm saying more of a director slash sort so, so of aspiring cinematographer so I'm we're a bit I'm confused essentially Andrew's not <laughs> <laughs> I'm still confused yeah about, uh. But, but neither of you would class yourself as no, I like. No, I know what you're getting at though in no, terms, no, no. I feel bad for like, we've got editors and I don't know how someone could not be on the shoot and just come back with a hard drive with loads of rushes on and then, then sit down and just have to, I just, that's crazy for me. That's like, I mean, if, for the, for instance, my, I mean, my foundation would be that there'd be someone who's going to sit, at least sit with the editor or the editor will be on a shoot. Mm. So that traditionally would be a director, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, or it's sort of, um, like a post-production director would be there in the day or but but this is what I'm getting at but we're not at that level every day yet like I go like you know I work on a, with a piece of camera technology and that's got me on some really big jobs where I've seen it get done properly every day and so many notes from sort of camera notes and, and, and art department notes everything that goes back to the editor so they've got a lot more and then the director will be there as well yeah. but in if we're talking about this like yeah we could go and shoot something and give it to an editor and, and I'd be petrified if someone just gave me a load of footage and said, go and edit that. But they do it, so that's, I mean, it's that's their art, basically. But that's them being a storyteller, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. But that's that's yeah. exactly it. They probably don't get credit for it as much as they do because sometimes I pass footage to Bob, our editor, and I won't even give him any notes. And then two days later, I'll see the edit, and he'll be like, fucking hell, I, like, I wouldn't have even done it that good. So, mm. But I think you've got to, you, you have to be trained in that to just sort of numb yourself out, basically, and just edit. It's so time-consuming. You have to look for everything for you. I, I once edited... A Libyan graduation that was in Libyan, and this is when a, went, Libby, hold on, a Libyan graduation. Yeah, exactly. This is what I'm saying. So when we first started out and we were doing these jobs, this is a guy said, "Look, uh, part of some sort of Libyan of education system, we've got a graduation. Come and film it and edit it." So I went and filmed it, and then I had to edit it and I had to listen to something with, with in Libyan and had to edit that. Yeah, and that was. How on earth did you do that? I, I, I think we sort of did it, and then. Yeah, he didn't pick the hard drives up for a while, and then he came and just picked them up, and then he was happy with it. So I don't, I don't know, I had no idea. But that's what I'm saying. That's what I compare it to. I'm not, thank God, I'm not doing no disrespect to the Libyan people or their graduations, but I'm, I've come away from that. I've now. done that. I've moved on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So you are director slash cinematographer slash writers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So when someone comes to you and says, I've got an idea, or do they come to you with an idea, or do they say, because I would come to you and I would say, I've got this idea in my head. Yeah. And that, that's me being me. But do other people come and just say, I want a film about this? Yeah, I mean, it's different lately though because mm. we start pitching for a lot now. So, I mean, so it's like a seed there of what you're aiming towards. Oh, yeah, well, there's a brief, and yeah. then we'd, we'd, we'd sort of expand on it. But obviously, we could do 20 of them pitches a month and probably yeah. not win any or get one back. So, you do go up to companies and say, I've got a really good idea that you could use? No, that's what we, this is what we should be doing, recycling our old ideas. Because we've got so many ideas where we've sat down and thought, fuck me, they're great, and yeah. they didn't get made. Yeah. And Mate, that's should. how agencies work. Yeah, exa- yeah exactly, yeah. 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 But no, but we've, I mean, we're quite getting quite into the sports sector. So for instance, a client will come to us and say, look, there's this bunch of money, there's this, these players are appearing or whatever, you come up with an idea to do that. And then alternatively, there's like what you used to do where there'd be like, bloody blah, there's X amount, I've got a brief, I need you to turn up and shoot it, basically. So it's one of two ways. But that's why what scares me would be scaring me about being a freelance director because you must have to, you have to pitch every day and it's, it's basically like it must be demoralizing when you're not getting anything back so that's why we don't take for granted what we've got in, yeah, exactly. in this production company and then the more the more you do and the bigger portfolio you've got you can then be in that situation where you go in and say look i've got this proven track record of doing it like you know put your trust in me more than you would if i didn't have any to show you if i just said i've sort of got an idea that that might not might not work but if you go in and say look i've done this before i've done this here's my idea i think then it, it's easier to, to gamble on you then because you yeah you can you. show them what you got the guy show yeah, yeah. you you can show them and say we've done this we've done this we've done yeah. this this is how this works and that's kind of what you do and if you get yeah but if you go the step a little bit higher and then you sort of made a name for yourself then you've got brands just coming up for you saying look yeah. you directed that you we want you to do this and then you've got the freedom to do what the fuck you want basically because mm. they, they they they're coming to you for your name rather than and that's what in, especially in the fashion world a lot of directors are inclined that way mm. Spike Jones with now all these and these viral sort of big brands animations that he's doing they're just coming to him for another bit of Spike Jones because they know it's going to sell straight away so it's quite a competitive world though isn't it it's, it's mm. hugely competitive but we're lucky that we got into into it when we did because I can remember when I was doing my uni course and I had some sort of like people who were doing proper degrees and they were saying oh what the fuck are you doing wasting your time doing a media job and then they've come back to me since we've been in London and was like wow so wrong because mm. we were in it right at the age of where before social media and you've got to remember Facebook 10 years ago or 5 years ago it wasn't a video site it was you'd post it's a full on video site now you'd scroll down Instagram you scroll up you watch it it's mm. but it, it has its pros and cons that though because there's so much meaningless shit and throwaway content on there now that brands just pay to make a video that's going to be there for 2 weeks and it's never going to be seen again ever mm. it goes I mean that's there's no nostalgia in it, is there? It's cutthroat. It's it's something exists for about two weeks. And so who's? I mean, in an ideal world, then to curate these these media streams, that so they're not throwaway. Is it a case of creating stories and content which is better, so people want to hang around, or is it? Are you saying that basically it doesn't matter how good it is, it's just going to be moving on to the next thing anyway? No, definitely not. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. I think some things are incredible, and some people do it completely right. Um, mm. I always, I, we always say though, would we be watching this if we weren't filmmakers? Yeah, would, yeah. So I, I can't really speak on behalf of the general public who watch things, but mm. yeah, like you bring up John Lewis and stuff like they've done so many things that are timeless now. Like some night commercials is just ridiculous, and they're mm. going to be around for, in my eyes forever. The, but but those, I mean, John Lewis Society especially, they always brought up, but they cost a fortune. Yeah, yeah like bigger than a lot of feature film budgets. 
Then millions of pounds yeah. have gone mm. into it, and not just the media spend, but actually creating the video itself. Yeah. Mm. And all that production value has gone in just to sell something. Yeah. So is it a case of making a, a high quality product that happens to sell something? No, because like, say for instance, I think we watched, it was the, there was a video we found last year that was just, um, it was for a Scars and Burns charity. So it's a French video and it's just a, a charity. And what they do in three minutes, like I don't think that'll ever have been shown on TV. I don't know who's ever seen it. I only got into it because I've seen it and won an award for something. Mm. But that was just incredible, wasn't it? Yeah. Like yeah, it it's one of the best it. things I've ever seen. And that's pure emotional story, like pure emotion. You should watch it after, yeah. Definitely. But yeah, it's totally different. It's like when when like me and Scott were going up, like we'd sit in his house and you know like try and get on the dial up all night to watch like the new Nike advert. You know, we'd sit there for three hours trying to make it load, and then you know we still remember it now. Where I think because it is so saturated now, and things are just so easy to access online. I'm not saying they're not as good, but I think they might be a little less memorable in terms of you know in the grand scope of things. Like if you look at like you know the the Guinness advert with the horses, you know what I mean? Like great director, great advert. It's going to be remembered sort of forever because everyone looks back at. Oh my god, that was a big advert on telly where you could only watch it on telly. You couldn't just access it online and show your mates. You had to wait for it to come on. Yeah, and if you're watching Who Wants to Be a Millionaire like yeah. ten years ago, then and that advert was on, then the so half the country are gonna see water it. Water cooler moments, aren't they? There's kind of Yeah, exactly. That's a horrible phrase, but that there's kind of seminal moments where that connect people. Yeah, yeah. But I'm trying to think what, what big adverts have been lately online. Well, that, that Nike one, the, the London around. Yeah, that, that, that was, was inc- incredible. But, but then I only saw people really posting that who were from London and into film and the industry yeah. no I mean I saw a lot I, d- I did see that a lot although there were question marks it's really hard isn't it because with something like um, is it I Am was it I, We Are London or is it I Am London yeah, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. Londoners or We Are Londoners or yeah. something like that and yeah. it was a great piece of filmmaking and I watched it um, and I'll tell you what before I say that, that do you remember that? did you see the, the bit for the Paralympics the, that was yeah, incredible yeah, yeah. we loved that yeah, I, that's that one of my favourite ever bits I think it's probably my favourite bit of TV yeah. I loved it yeah. and I was saying this to a guy who I was interviewing Who's got? Who's who's a, a, a an athlete for para, a Paralympic athlete, mm. and he was he's, he was a cerebral palsy runner. Mm. Oh, I was I yeah. shot that with you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he said, "Oh, it's shit." I said, "What do you mean?" I said, "It's brilliant." He goes, "No, there's no one with cerebral palsy in it." Um, and yeah. it was like, okay, yeah. yeah, I hadn't considered it from that point yeah, of view. Yeah, yeah. But I get that what he's saying. But in the same sense, that was that was incredible. Like, yeah, but this ta- is the same with yeah. the, the Nike advert. There's no Asian people in it. Or very, very few. There's not many really white people, people. Need, to be honest. But, you know, you, yeah, you yeah. film it in South London, it's fine, big black population. Yeah, yeah. But if you're saying we are London, mm. yeah. then no, I get what, you mean. what about all the Asian people? And the thing is, and there's a bit of me that wants to go, uh, yeah, uh, but actually, this is a brilliant bit of filmmaking. Yeah, That's, yeah. But, yeah that, exactly. That and it thing. depends what framework you put it in. And obviously, yeah. as filmmakers, you're going to look at that and go, that is a brilliant edit, brilliant, like, shot tight, beautiful, yeah, yeah. music's fantastic, the photo's fantastic. Yeah. But, you know, different people view things in different ways, don't they? So, Somebody's got to work across mm. that broad thing, and you've got to take that into account, obviously, when you're creating films. Mm. If, if I've made that Nike advert and someone came out and said, "Oh my God, there's a lot of Asian people," I'd, I'd be pissed off. First of all, because again, straight away you've just gone for a negative rather than celebrating how good it is, and you're celebrating the good things of it. If you straight away just go into attack it, then you're just never going to get fucking. Anyway, that's what pissed me off. But it, like, it's but, regionalist, though, isn't it? Because I know yeah, for a fact yeah. back home, not one of my people who I grew up with would have given shit about that video. Yeah, yeah. But living in London, you do. Mm-hmm. I, 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 but we have to admit, Andrew, that we we like that because of the filmmaking techniques. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And yeah, the yeah. cinematography yeah, in it. And but it is, it's, a, it's a it's a brilliant bit of film. Yeah. And you can tell the amount of money that's been thrown at it. Yeah. Not just because the celebs in it or anything like that. Mm. Because if those people weren't even celebs, they were just randoms. Yeah, it's yeah. Still no. beautiful. But what you don't see, what together. you don't see, is that I went into Nike, Nike Town in London the other day. And there's about 100 screens in that shop with that video played on different aspect ratios. But what you don't see now is that every single segment in that video was its own 
video shoot. So there's there's about there's probably about a two minute video behind every single character in that film. Mm. So this, but this is what I'm. I, I had this conversation with someone the other day. It's changing so much for me for agencies now because brands are coming out to them and saying, "Look, we want this. We want." A video for Instagram, a video for Facebook, a video for Portrait Facebook. We want a video for Twitter. We want there. So there's probably about 15 deliverables. Mm. Then they'll be like, look, we want actually some GIFs. We want someone for Instagram stories where they're swiping up. Mm. So you've got agencies now that are sending directors to do the actual job and then directors to go and do the social things as well. So it's a massive it's a massive feat when you... I, I'd be petrified of mm. being the lead on one of them shoots because... There's so many elements and there's so many people behind the scenes. You've got agencies and then social media agencies, client, then mm. production company. It's it's a it's a, it's not as easy as it looks, basically. Mm. I don't suppose for me. Yeah, no, it doesn't it doesn't look easy. No, but a lot of, I think like a lot of people would like would say, oh yeah, but, like, there's a lot of money thrown on it. But what you don't realise is that that every single bit of location planning has been done, yeah. every single extra has been cast, every bit of co- costume, every bloody blah, blah roadblocks, all that. There's so many logistical things behind the scenes. Where and that's, so that's why what. Like it's not just loads of money being spent on, on to make the film, so it's going to be good. Mm. Logistically, it's a fucking must be a nightmare to make something mm. like that. So on that thought, right? If you've got, like you say, because obviously they look like they're snippets of a bigger story. Mm. So just from a generic point of view, how much of a story do you need to see to know the story? Does that make sense? You know, do I do you need a three minute narrative to know a story, or can it really be distilled well, down into these? The thing I love most about about filmmaking, and you can't really do this with any other format, is I think Scott will know as well, especially the way I write. Like the way we wrote our short film, like when you, any scene that you watch, my favorite, th- when, if I ever watch a film, my favorite thing is not understanding something and having to go and read about it after it and finding out. You I'm know, against that though, aren't I? Yeah, you're, I love it, like a piece of trivia, like, you know, a bit of a hidden Easter egg in the background. I love all that because I know it's been put there on purpose to tell the story further in a way that you didn't maybe understand. Like my girlfriend says to me, it doesn't count then if you didn't get it first time. If you had to read about it afterwards, it doesn't count. And I'm like, well, of course it does because it's made me want to go know but more about I it and enrich it more. Do you not think that most of the time that like, you find out from fan theories though? So you'd never know that. No, was, no, no. Like, it'll be like either, you know, like a commentary on the DVD or just like, Okay. and into it the director or something it's not just from a fan theory it's actually there so I tried to put a lot of it in book like it's about this guy who's going through this transformation so while he's sat in like a doctor's waiting room there's a magazine with a butterfly on the front of it like I purposely put that there to say that he's having this transformation so you could see that a five second clip of that film maybe just by that little clue you then go right okay there's a butterfly there's a guy in it he's going through transformation so that's sold that scene but if you miss that then you've, you've missed yeah. that point. You're just looking at a guy no, who's waiting. Yeah, most people do miss them points as well. But yeah, exactly. There is there is the other side of that in there because mm. um, uh, What's-His-Face does this a lot, doesn't he? Um, oh, three, the Cornetto trilogy. Um, oh, yeah, 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 right. Simon, yeah. yeah, sorry. So he does this a lot because it, everything in there, like Shaun of the Dead, yeah. when you watch it, and you watch it with the director's commentary, and you watch, I've watched it loads and loads of times, yeah. and it's reflected the characters you see, then you see them later on as zombies, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're all relative. But the yeah. trouble is, when you when you know this, you go back and watch it another time, mm. and you see things. Everything seems to be deliberately placed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that then, when on repeated viewings, it's great the first time around, the second time around, and mm. when you get it, and you go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that's yeah, her name yeah. because yeah. she pops up later. That, that, isn't, isn't that Bloody what Mary? Make, okay, oh, yeah, 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 Isn't yeah, that yeah, what yeah, makes a it. film great though? If you revisit it though. Oh. Right, right. That's that's fine. You revisit it, and that's fine. But it's one of your favourites, and you want to watch it over and over again. Yeah, yeah. It becomes a little bit. A little bit too cliched. One of my favourite shows, and I'm, I'm happy to I'm happy to wear the badge. Columbo. Uh, my favourite right. show of all time, I think. Literally. Love Columbo. And the reason I love Columbo more than anything else is it's got shit in there that doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He will say something that has no relevance whatsoever to yeah. the plot. 
there were conversations. Where'd you get those shoes? Yeah, you, fa- you find the colour at the first minute and you'll still yeah. watch it the whole way through, knowing who it is. Yeah, that watch, how much is that watch? I need a new yeah, strap. Yeah, yeah. Like, I've got nothing to do with the plot. Yeah, yeah. And so it stands up to repeat with me because you, you feel that this is a real person. Whereas mm. if I'm watching one of those films, I feel like, oh, yeah, that's going to come up later on because I know yeah, that yeah, that's yeah, relevant yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah. I, so, but I like that though because... It, I've not watched a film with you in a while. It wasn't a cinema. Like when I watch a film with my girlfriend, she's like, "Right, you've got to shut up for the whole film." Because I'll play one of my films just to tell about everything I've seen in it. Because that's why I like film. I like being part of that culture. I like being. I like knowing about it more than the other person sitting yeah. next to me. My brother, when I watch it with him, he's like, "I'll watch a film with you if you shut up for the whole film." And after five minutes, I'm already like, "You know that guy in the background there? Watch it." So I like it just because yeah, I feel more engrossed and more part of something that I love. But I can understand why everyone else wants to kick me fucking head. In. No. That's fine. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know, Scott. Do you want to kick his fucking head? <laughs> no, no, Andrew's all right. Uh, nice one, man. Yeah, he's all right. See, that wasn't too painful, was it, gents? No, no. it's good. It's great. It's good. So, so yeah. you still think you? So you're filmmakers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look, Ben. One day, I'd, I'd love to speak to you in five years' time, and I'm, if I'm confident and if I believe in myself and mine and Andrew's abilities, we'll be in a position to start talking about a, a proper film that we've made. Um, yeah. Because we're just sort of just beginning the journey and like I said we're, I think the biggest step in that is being able to do it professionally um, you can I swear I, I, I envy and idolise so many directors who can sit with no money in London drinking coffee all day with no girlfriend and just yeah. writing and writing and writing and and they are true geniuses and, and we haven't got that but in the same sense we've been introduced to the commercial world so we can get paid to do what but we want to do as, as Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called 10,000 Hours the premise being that to get good at anything and it's not particularly doesn't hold up very true but he gives a few examples that there's 10,000 hours of doing that thing yeah. to be good at it mm. how you long is 10,000 hours? well you work it out mate it's, it's, yeah I don't know it's years in it 10,000 hours but yeah. so you spend you, so you do this he cites all the examples about how there's various people that are seen as geniuses but in fact if you go back into the time they've had the opportunity to spend all this time doing it mm. before mm. they do they just like Bill Gates he was access mm. to one of the first computers yeah. in his area or whatever and because of that and all this other stuff. yeah so you're so basically this, is this your training ground what the, the, there's a clumsy way of asking no is this your training yeah ground I definitely work? I definitely think it is because in the same we've not been doing it since we were like 16 18 years old mm. so we've I mean not in the sense of, of London, but we, we're pretty slow getting into what we... And like I've just said, we've got girlfriends and we've got a job, mm. so we can't sit down in a coffee shop and write a feature film every single day. So, yeah, I'd say I'd say it's learning on the job. I saw an interview with a director, I can't remember who it was, and he was, he was giving like tips to like you know young, especially like millennial sort of directors in this day and age, and he said, uh, he said would you rather, A, um, just work in a coffee shop, writing on all your breaks, and be this tortured artist who tries to break it into film with his new script, or would you rather be working on like shooting interviews and like little um, like paid commercials but not doing creative stuff and writing at the same time and he was like if anyone picks A then they're fools because you're not learning anything mm. and B you're at least learning the industry even if you pick up a couple of little networking things or a bit of skills or contacts anything and then you still write at the same time so that's something I've always believed in that I think it's better to be in the industry than yeah like Scott said you're also writing a coffee shop all day yeah yeah you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think we—I mean, we sort of we collaborate a lot together now to the point yeah. where if we get an idea through the door, we'd we'd ask each other seal of approval on anything mm-hmm. we sort of do. So it's great because so many times in the day we can just be working on a corporate job or whatever, but then there will be one point where an idea will come from somewhere or another a brief will come in, and eventually we will win the bigger stuff. I know we will. So mm-hmm. it's just sort of yeah, like you said, just keep keep on doing what we're doing, and um, whenever we get a chance to actually work on the things that mean most to us just put that little bit more effort in and a lot of sleepless nights and combining the both so finally what's the name of the production company you're going to have 
Uh, evenings. Evenings? Yeah. Do you know why? Tell me. Because when we finish our proper job at six o'clock and then the evenings start, and that's when the magic happens. So you have to do the work. And then the website, it's evenings.com. Yeah. Do little things called nightcaps, put on little short films. Yeah, so we've got evenings, and then nightcaps on the side will be later on, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, evenings, I think it's just, um, yeah, you don't, I don't know, it's just... Like I spoke to one of my friends who's like, um, who's an editor of Vice, and I said, you know, have you got any little projects coming up, would you be free for work? And she said, well, I work in the day, so I'm only free in the evenings. I was like, they got perfect sort of work, yeah. so there you go. I'll watch out for that. Yeah. Thank be. you very much, gentlemen. Thank you, Ben. Thanks, mate. Take care, mate. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Please subscribe for more of the same with different people talking about storytelling, um, covering different aspects. Uh, drop me an email if you can if you want. It's hello at epicureben.com. And any suggestions, anybody wants to be on the podcast, if you like storytelling, if you've got a story to be told, don't know, I'm just witchering now. Really, I'm just, just going on about stuff. If you listen to this point, well, I mean, well done. I mean, really well done. And to be fair, if I was awarding badges, you'd get one. Um, yeah, but I'm not. Well, could do, I guess. This little badges made, couldn't I? I love getting my stuff made. But uh, that's just me. Anyhow, it's all right.